The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. The epistle lesson is from Romans chapter 13, beginning verse 8. O no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Out of respect, I invite you to rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel appointed for this the first Sunday in Advent is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 24th chapter. Jesus said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is the name by which he'll be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. This is the name by which he'll be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Yes, today's text for this first Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Old Testament lesson that Margie read to you moments ago. But I'm going to read it to you once again. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it came to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against sword, or nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is our text. In the name of Jesus, our coming, and our coming King. Well, I have a confession to make. Sometimes when I'm reading a novel and the plot is so intense and the hero is under such immense pressure, I sneak a peek at the last chapter of the book to see how the story will end. I want to be prepared for whatever might happen, especially if something disturbing or tragic should happen to the hero of the book. Sneaking a peek at the last chapter of the book makes the reading of the remainder of the book just a little less emotionally tense for me. Can you relate? Have you ever snuck a peek at the end, the last chapter of a book? Be honest now. I see some of you shaking your head now. No? Okay, good. I have. Shame on me. Well, in this prophecy that I just read to you, Isaiah is providing the people of Israel and he's providing us with a sneak peek, a preview of the end of the story. Isaiah is writing his prophecy during a very stormy period in Israel's history. The pagan nation of Assyria has invaded the northern nation of Israel. And they did so in a very cruel and brutal fashion. The blood of women and children flowed in the streets. Israelite soldiers were tortured in a manner too hideous for me to describe. Cherished monuments were demolished. And worst of all, God told the people of the northern kingdom that they brought this disaster upon themselves as his chastisement for their idolatry, for their rebellion against him. 
And adding insult to injury, the prophets promise that Judah and Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, will experience a similar calamity in about 150 years for their revolt, for their rebellion against God. Can you imagine, as a parent or grandparent, having to tell your children or your grandchildren, oh Samuel, Rachel, Obadiah, and Lydia, I have some bad news to share with you. Because we turned away from the Lord to worship false gods, you can expect that a foreign power, the Babylonians, are going to come and slaughter some of you and tear some of you from your families, and you will witness the demolition of Solomon's temple. Talk about giving your children and grandchildren reason for nightmares. It is within this unsettled context that God reveals this prophecy through Isaiah. God knows that if he gives the people of Judah a sneak peek at how the story ends, it'll make their life a little bit more tolerable and maybe a little bit more hopeful when they must live through that horrible story. Isaiah writes, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Isaiah describes a time when people from the nations of the world will worship the same Lord. People from around the world will say to one another, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that the Lord may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And they will govern their lives by the word of the Lord. And their weapons, once used to spill bloodshed, will be beaten into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks because war, war will be a relic of the past. Isaiah's prophecy describes a period of time when the Messiah will repair the breach which sin introduced between man and God. It describes a future era when a, a variety of people will be united in their faith in the Lord and by his word of truth. Weapons of mass destruction in military schools to train soldiers for combat, hatred and bloodshed and war will be no more. Better times are promised. This prophecy, this glimpse into the last chapter of the story that God is writing, gave the parents and grandparents something positive to share with their children, to relieve them of their fears for the future. This prophecy was a source of hope when, when, when the ones experiencing the bloodshed and the separation from their family members and the destruction of Solomon's temple during the time of the Babylonian invasion, it gave them something to hang on to, something to cling to, something to hope in. It gave them a promise from God that there were better times that lay ahead of them. And Isaiah's prophecy is for us too. Our world, including our country, is fragmented, as you know, by prejudice and hatred. Wars and rumors of war flood our TV screens. Images of children missing limbs and orphaned are a daily reality for us. 
bullying and interfamily conflict, passive aggressive manipulation. It destroys families, it hurts friendships, and it destabilizes fellowships. I mean, as you watch these things and experience these things in your life, do you not find yourself wondering, when will this hatred and conflict end? When will the killing stop? When will there be peace between the nations? When will there be peace in our nation? When will there be harmony within my family, my community? When will the church be free of division and squabbling? Well, Isaiah says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. It shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, this is where I need you to tell you something about biblical prophecy. When it comes to some biblical prophecies, there is a present and not yet reality to them. And this prophecy of Isaiah is one such prophecy. Let me explain. When Isaiah says it shall come to pass in the latter days, he is referring to an age that begins some 700 years in the future from his time when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes in the flesh. St. Luke begins his narrative of Jesus' birth with allusions, I think, to Isaiah's prophecy here in Isaiah 2. For Luke writes, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And then Luke shares with us the announcement of the angels. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, and they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all men. You see, this is the beginning of the last chapter. This is the latter days of which Isaiah foretells. It begins with the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ inaugurates a time of peace on earth and goodwill between God and men and between people who are united in Christ. But you may wonder, how is this true? I mean, there has never been an absence of conflict and war since the time of Christ. In fact, some of the bloodiest wars in history have been fought since Christ's first advent and have often been instigated by Christian, or quote-unquote, Christian nations. Family and friendships are in constant conflict, it seems. They're as prevalent as ever. Communities remain divided by ethnic and socioeconomic differences, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't see any swords being beaten into plowshares or spears into pruning hooks. So how then can Isaiah's words apply to us today? Now such an observation is true, isn't it? We will suffer from all these things, wars and rumors of war, conflict, hatred, prejudice, racism, the list goes on. We will suffer all of these things until the second coming, the second advent of our Lord. 
And yet we are experiencing the present reality of Isaiah's prophecy in that God is at peace with us because of Jesus' work of salvation. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace who preached, blessed are the peacemakers, and who said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. But Jesus not only preached peace, but Jesus is also the source of peace. He is the peacemaker between God and us. You see, our greatest war is not with other nations or with other people. Our greatest conflict is between our Creator and us. Jesus, as our peacemaker, reconciled us to God by shedding His blood on the cross of Calvary for the forgiveness of our sins. And so it was there on Calvary that we had the war to end all wars. And it's in this way that the angel's message is true. And it's this way that Isaiah's prophecy is a present reality for us. God is at peace with us. He is goodwill toward all men in Christ. This promise of a Savior who would repair the severed relationship between God and his people is what sustained God's exiled people during the Babylonian captivity. When they were undergoing things that suggested that God had abandoned them, or when they were experiencing shame and guilt over their sins, they knew, because they'd had a glimpse in the last chapter, that a virgin would conceive. She would conceive a son whose name would be Emmanuel. And they were assured by other prophecies in the book of Isaiah and elsewhere in the Old Testament that their Lord Emmanuel would be smitten and stricken and afflicted by God. But by his wounds, they would be healed. But the Savior did even more. He did even more than heal us or heal that relationship between God and us. For after his victorious battle on Calvary, which our Lord conquered the devil and death, he established the church, the house of God, the new Zion, a living temple of people that would rise above any man-made temples of the earth. Christ's church is the pillar and the source of the truth. Many people from many nations flow to the church. The church, the Christian church, is where people of all ethnicities and all kinds of social stratas experience love and forgiveness, fellowship, unity, in a manner that is unknown and foreign to this world outside of the church. St. Paul puts it this way when he says to the Ephesians that the dividing wall of hostility that separates people have been abolished by Christ, who himself, Paul says, is our peace. He says those who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ founded this church, and this church was birthed by the Spirit of the Lord on Pentecost. And since the day of Pentecost, Christ's church has risen to worldwide prominence. People of all kinds of cultures and languages 
from all kinds of countries all around the world worship Christ. They worship Christ as Lord and Savior. Today, as we gather in this place of worship, people all around the world are also in their own languages, in their own cultures, in their own ways, worshiping their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People of all persuasions gather together regularly to read God's Word, to study it, and to govern their lives by it. And we who are members of Christ's church continue to participate in a worldwide program of bringing other people that message of peace as Jesus sends us out to be his peacemakers, to proclaim a message of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ and a message of reconciliation that can bring people together. I mean, story after story is told of people who are transformed by the forgiving love of God in Christ Jesus. People who were so transformed that they who were once in conflict with one another have laid down their swords and their spears, so to speak, and they've been reconciled, not only to the Lord, but to one another. People who have fought against one another have found unity and forgiveness in the church. Families that have been torn apart have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Friendships that were tethered, ripping apart, have been healed again by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we, are the agents of God's love and forgiveness and peace. As his love, God's love, flows from the cross to us, from his heart into our heart, so that we can share our heart, our heart of love and forgiveness with others. Yes, we replace our swords with the word of God. We replace our spears with prayer. We replace our anger with love. We replace our resentment with forgiveness. We replace our bitterness with optimism and hope. In the Lord's church, we experience a peace between God and us and between brothers and sisters in Christ that the world cannot give, nor does it really understand it. But that's the present reality of Isaiah's prophecy. The present reality of Isaiah's prophecy is that God loves each and every one of us and that in Christ our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to God through him. And the present reality is that God has placed us in his church so that we might experience a unity and oneness that can only be experienced as we live our lives under the cross of Jesus Christ. And that gives us hope. And that gives us reason to be God's peacemakers in this world. But there is also a not yet reality to Isaiah's prophecy. You see, God continues to write the final chapter. Oh, he knows how the story will end. And he gives us a little glimpse into its conclusion in our text today. You see, one day, the Lord will say, I've had enough. 
I've seen enough bloodshed. I've seen enough cruelty. Enough with the spears, enough with the swords, enough with the guns, enough with the violence, enough with the conflict, enough with the violence, enough with the rebellion within communities and families and churches, enough already. And God will make those things obsolete. The world as we know it will come to an end. Satan and sin and death will be smelted in the lake of fire. And the Lord will create a new heaven and he'll create a new earth. One in which a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language will worship and they'll serve the Lord with one voice and a unified heart. And we're told that the Lord will wipe every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for all of the former things, the wars and the rumors of war, the conflict, the hatred, the jealousy, all of those things will pass away and be no more. Now, we don't know the day or the hour when the Lord will write his final sentence or where he will complete the sentence with an exclamation mark and the trumpet, the angelic trumpet, is sounded and Christ returns. But be assured of this, that the Son of Man is going to return. Our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed, writes St. Paul. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. In the meantime, when you find yourself becoming tense, and maybe you find yourself to be in a situation that's a little bit overwhelming in your life, when you begin to think that maybe this world is going to hell because of all the hatred that you see in it, I encourage you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 2 and sneak a peek. Sneak a peek at the end of the story. There's a bright future ahead for all of us in Christ Jesus. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.